God's holy and inspired word this morning to back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we move forward this morning as we begin to take up this second paragraph uh, here in chapter 2. I'm going to read this morning uh, 2, 11 through 21 so that we can see the big picture um, of what we're going to be looking at, but Lord willing, we'll be taking Advent to work through uh, this section uh, and into the beginning of chapter 3. The title of the sermon this morning is Advent, Having Hope and God with Us in This World. We'll be focusing this morning on 11 through 13, but let's read 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. Let's pray. O God, who has revealed Himself in words and in actions, and have revealed Yourself in the Word, in Your Son, who came into this world taking upon Himself flesh and living out in that flesh a perfection that led him to die in the flesh and to be raised to new flesh in the resurrection. Help us today to open our hearts once again to this Christ, to hear him, to see him, to savor him. Do this, we pray, for in Jesus' name, amen. Thanksgiving has come and gone. 
What this means is that you are now allowed to celebrate the lights and the smells and the music of Christmas. And at least in our house, you have to wait till after Thanksgiving. We did try one year, a couple years ago. I let, I let the girls run early, and by girls, I include Christy. And they ran early. By the time we got to Christmas, they were, they were kind of done. So they still won't admit that I was right, though. But it's such an exciting season. Even as you look around this room and you see the lights on the trees and you see the colors and the greenery and as we are anticipating what is coming, as, as you drive down the road and you get to see all the, the choices of what people do with lights and yard art during, during, uh, during this time of year, if you want some real fun, just go down a couple doors over here on the right. They are apparently are very excited about Christmas when you look at their, at, at, you have to go by at night. But it is an, an exciting time. It is a time in which we are anticipating uh, some, some good times to come as we anticipate time with family and, and time around uh, food that we don't normally eat all the time, or at least in amounts that we don't all eat all the time, as there are parties and get-togethers and family gatherings, and as we get around uh, one another and share gifts with one another, it is definitely a time uh, in which even the most hard-crusted man, but even, I'm sure, Kenny, acts giddy as a schoolgirl with the excitement and with the joy, even as things are somewhat unsure, Right? It is a great time of anticipation and celebration, at least for many. For some, it is a time of heightened stress, a time in which their loneliness is more acutely, acutely felt, a time of grief as they look to celebrating Christmas and that special loved one isn't with them this year. It's a time even for anger as, as people reflect upon the circumstances that, that they don't like. And as all of this is brought crashing down onto them in a more acute manner because of all the Christmas cheer that is going around, where the Christmas cheer can actually heighten people's um, um, uh, Stress and loneliness and grief. For many of us, I would imagine it's kind of hard to, to think about Christmas that way, to think about it as a time of where it's stress, where it's a time of loneliness, where it's not a time of joy, where it's not a time of excitement and anticipation, to think of it as a time to just try to bare-knuckle your way through. How do you experience the season? Is this a season of excitement and joy and anticipation, or is this a season that you are just trying to, to get through because you need to get past 
all this happiness around you? Are you a Christmas joy? Or are you a bah humbug? It is good to remember, even amidst the joy and the celebration and the excitement and the anticipation, it is good to remember that not everyone gets to live and experience that same sense and level of hope that the Christmas season so often brings. It is good to remember this because it helps us to remember that these things are not to be taken for granted. That we are not to just expect because the change of a calendar that we get to change our circumstances where the problems of life disappear or the challenges of relationships somehow just work themselves out. It is good to remember that, that hope in and of itself is not something that everyone gets to enjoy. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is reminding us here in these first couple verses of chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, as he is addressing this church that consists of members who have a Jewish background and members who have a Gentile background. It is a church that exists as two uh, completely different worldviews were brought together through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is a church or this is a group of churches within the city of Ephesus where some have come out of a Jewish background of those who have grew up uh, with the Old Testament, with the Old Testament rites and rituals, who grew up with the hope and the expectation that the promises of Yahweh were going to be fulfilled within history. They grew up with promises. They grew up with the revelation of God where God had come to them and had revealed himself to them, revealing himself, his presence to them as he would reveal through what we call theophany, through these different glory cloud experiences or a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night where God would, would manifest physically through something that could be seen, his presence as the people of God had received the tabernacle, which then became the temple, as they received the, the law from the Lord, where God uh, revealed to them what their hearts knew was, where their hearts knew something was wrong, he revealed to them the specifics of what was wrong. And even more, he revealed to them what to do about it. One of the most tragic things you can do is study the different religions of the ancient Near East, not just merely looking at what were the actual belief systems and what, what, what was the actual theology, but to read the prayers of those different religions that have been, have been passed through the generations. And one of the things that was common to the religions of that day in the ancient Near East is that everyone, what you can tell, from the prayers themselves, is that 
everyone knew that something was wrong. They knew that something wasn't right with humanity, with with themselves, with their relationships, with the way things were around them, with the world. They knew something was wrong, but they had no idea what it was, and they had no clue what to do about it. And so you can read these prayers where the uncertainties get down to the level of not only not knowing what's wrong or what to do about it, but not even knowing which God to pray to about it. And so a lot of the ancient Near Eastern prayers are, are just lists where someone is praying and to, and to this God who I may have offended and to this goddess that I might have offended. And they go through the list of the gods that they know and then they go into the list of the gods that they don't know. And they never get anywhere. And there is no hope There is no understanding. They are flying blind and they know it. They are in the dark and they know it. What they needed was light. And God was that light and he had manifest himself to the smallest of the nations who were not worthy to receive his light. And yet he revealed himself. He helped them learn what was wrong and he pointed them to what he was doing about it. In pointing out what was wrong, part of what was wrong was that there was nothing that they could do about what was wrong. That the only choice they had was either to continue to entrust themselves to themselves or to entrust themselves to him. That was the choice. And God said, here is what I am doing and here is what I'm going to do. And so as Paul talks about here in Ephesians 2, the the people of God, those coming from the Jewish background, they were called the circumcision. They were called the circumcision because they were those who were part of the commonwealth of Israel. The circumcision itself was a physical mark in the flesh through the shedding of blood by which someone would know if they were a member of Israel or if they were not. And if they were a member of Israel, it meant that they had inherited the covenants of promise. Where God, out of his grace, initiated to a people and said, here is who I am. Here is who I will be for you. Here is what I will do. Believe. They had received the covenants of promise. What it meant to be someone who grew up in the Jewish tradition. What it meant is that you had wisdom and insight from God that you would not have had 
apart from his gracious initiation. What it meant is that apart from God, you would have also been in the darkness. What Paul says is to you Gentile believers, he says, remember that this was your state. Remember that you didn't grow up with the covenants of promise. You didn't grow up with the sign and seal of circumcision. You didn't grow up with the Torah. You didn't grow up with the promise that I will be your God and you will be my people, both you and your children. They, they did not grow up with that, but in God's grace, that extravagant grace that Paul has been unfolding ever since chapter 1, verse 3, that extravagant, extravagant grace of God was poured out by God to this people in order to draw them out of darkness, in order to draw them out of sin and death, in order to draw them out from being children of his wrath to being children of his love. He, God has initiated, he has acted, he is accomplishing, he has promised, and he is fulfilling. That is who God is, and that's who God is to you in this room if you are in Christ. So it is so easy to read words like Gentile and think that they no longer apply. Now, unless I'm wrong, I don't believe we have a very strong Jewish background that is represented within this congregation. Beloved, these words are to you. This is who you were. And the implication, notice here, the implication of this is that you had no hope and you were without God in this world. But now. But now, verse 13. Two of the most beautiful words in the scripture. But now. But now this is no longer true of you. In Christ, you have been drawn out of darkness. In Christ, you have been drawn into the covenant people of God. In Christ, you have become one who inherits the covenants of promise. In Christ, you have become one who is no longer far away from God. You are someone who is no longer without hope in this world. You are someone who is no longer without God in this world. But now in Christ. In Christ now, what it means for you to be part of this people of God is that you have hope in this world because you have God in this world. Hope is one of those things that can often be such an easy word to use without realizing the depth 
and the meaning of, of how extraordinary hope is in life. The idea of hope uh, in the scripture is not a, a wish. This is how we tend to use the word in English. Well, I hope things work out. I hope Auburn finds a quarterback. I had to get that one in. It's a wish, right? Maybe it'll happen. It'll be good if it does. Maybe if it'll happen, maybe it won't. But that's not what the Bible means when it says hope. It doesn't mean I hope something will, will happen or I hope something will go well. It's not a wish. It's also not optimism. Hope is not the ability to look at a bad circumstance and decide, well, even though things seem really bad, I'll try to find the best in what's here, and then I'll just react positively to what I find. That is not what the Bible means by hope. What the Bible means by hope is, is uh, a combination of, of two basic concepts. That first concept is the, is the idea of waiting. To hope is to wait. It means that you are watching. It means that you are waiting. Noah is described after the flood, after the rains had finally stopped. And the flood waters were, so, were going to recede. God had said they were going to recede. God had said there was going to be a new world that was going to be on the other side of that flood. And as the flood waters are slowly, over weeks and weeks, starting to go down, Noah is described as waiting for the Lord. Hope is about waiting. It is about patience. But it's also about expectation. The idea of hope in the Old Testament is not only this, this sense of waiting, but it's waiting with an expectation. It is waiting with the expectation that tension that exists is going to be relieved. Now, in Sunday school, we illustrated that this morning with the boys with a rubber band. Who knew so much could be communicated through a rubber band? But what do boys tend to do with rubber bands? Well, we like to pull them and stretch them because we know that there's going to be a really funny reaction to it. And you're either going to pull it and, and, and let it go and it's going to snap back or if, if, if you're... I'm not going to give an adjective. If you engage with someone else and say, hey, pull this with me, you know, right? You, you play a trick and you let go. But it's funny because you know that the rubber band cannot remain stretched. It can't remain in that state. The tension, the further you stretch it, the more tense the rubber band becomes. And you know that that tension has to be relieved. It will either be relieved by you getting tired and, and letting up on your pressure where it will contract or you letting go and it will contract really fast or the rubber band will snap. But a rubber band, you can't pull it 
to that point of full tension. You can't pull it there and leave it there because something has to happen. When we are waiting for the tension that all of us feel within this world that is cursed and fallen because of sin, we know that things cannot remain in the current situation. Something has to happen. And God has told us what is going to happen. He is going to relieve the tension that exists within this fallen, cursed world when he sends his son who will be the means by which that tension becomes relieved. In the Old Testament, the expectation was for a Messiah, for a Savior who would come. For those to whom Paul is writing, for us who live on the other side of the first coming or the first advent of Jesus Christ, we have begun to see what God is doing to relieve the tension. Because Paul tells us right here, where there was a rejection of the Gentiles because they failed to have a mark in the flesh. There is a redemption of the Gentiles because of the Christ who came and took on flesh. There is a Savior, we are told here, where the tension is not relieved simply by God making a decision to relieve the tension. Where the tension is relieved not simply by God deciding, well, let's just say that there's no tension anymore. What God did was he sent his son. And verse 13 tells us so clearly that in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't theologize that sentence. This is not just merely speaking theologically that the blood of Christ provides forgiveness of sins. Is that true? Absolutely. But don't forget that it's blood. It's real blood because Jesus took on real flesh. And what the people of God had been waiting for for millennia was God to come and to relieve the tension. And in order to do this, God came near to those who were far from him. He came near. He initiated. He came to us. And he does so by taking on flesh like the appearance of who we are and what we experience within this life and he took that upon himself taking flesh to himself experiencing what it's like to live in this fallen cursed world with flesh even though he was perfect and he was sinless he still experienced things like weakness he experienced humiliation he experienced suffering When we say here that the blood of Christ has relieved the tension of sin and death, we cannot skip past that God has chosen to do this by coming to us 
and taking on flesh and then laying down that flesh by going up on a cross. But being raised to a new body in the resurrection. And when the New Testament talks about hope, this is the hope that it talks about. That the waiting, the anticipating, the expectation of the tension to be relieved has led not only to the coming of Jesus Christ, but his resurrection from the dead. And in Christ, in taking to himself a new body, that there is a hope and anticipation and expectation as we wait for God that we will, like Christ, walk out of death and into eternal life. That we will receive new bodies in Christ where we will still be able to touch and to see and to smell and to taste. That the hope of Christ is not just a hope in a better spiritual existence. It is a hope in a new world, in a new creation and Jesus is the first of a new humanity and beloved you and I if we trust in Christ and if we wait for him in that second advent the tension that you and I experience as those who were counted righteous in Jesus Christ and yet who still sin on a daily basis, that tension is going to be relieved as you become like Christ in the fullness of his resurrection. Where you will be made to dwell in the fullness of God's glory unmediated forevermore. What we are celebrating during Advent is that this tension has begun to be relieved in Jesus Christ. And yet there is still more tension that yet has to be relieved that will only happen when he comes again. And so this is a season of waiting. It is a season of expectation and anticipation. It is a season of celebrating the God who came near to us when we were far from him, coming so near to us that he took on flesh and he took on our weakness. He took on our sin. And he overcame it all. But what Paul wants us to do here in remembering this, which is what Advent is, it is remembering what it was like to have no hope in order to better celebrate what it is to have hope. As we remember, as we celebrate, as we reflect upon this hope that we have with God in Christ, in this world, we have to do, two, we have to do three things. We have to receive that hope. 
It is a hope that we don't take for granted. It is not a hope that we just chalk up to, oh, well, God's done it. Everything's cool. I'll just do whatever, you know, I kind of want to do until he finishes what he started. You see, that was part of the challenge that the Jewish believers were still living with, and we're going to get into that as we move forward. For the Jewish believers who had all of these privileges, had taken all of them for granted, who multiple times had to be chastised by God because of their failure to actually not just know that the covenants of promise were there, but where they actually received those covenants of promises and they rested themselves and entrusted themselves to what God said there. It's not enough to be a member of the covenant. You have to actively receive the promises and take to yourself all the privileges and rights and all the obligations. You have to receive this hope, not just acknowledge that it's there. You have to receive it. And then, secondly, you have to actively cultivate that hope. You have to cultivate what it is to celebrate the past faithfulness of God that gives us the confidence to look forward to the future faithfulness of God. You have to look back in order to look forward. And what we are doing in Advent is just that. We are looking back to what Christ has done as it confirms for us the promises of God made so long ago that there is still something yet coming in the future that has not yet happened, that has not yet been fulfilled, that is going to be glorious and spectacular, and it's going to be beyond our imaginations. And so we cultivate that hope by actively looking back in order to look forward so that in the present we can continue to persevere in the joy, in the, in the excitement, and even in some of the nervousness that comes in waiting upon God to come to us once again. Past faithfulness, present hope, future glory. Is God worthy of your trust is he worthy of your hope can he seal to you his faithfulness in no greater way than sending his son to take on flesh to suffer in this life to die a substitutionary death on the cross to be raised in glory out of death into life and then to enter back into the heavenly places as the first among many sons and daughters. Is he worthy of your trust? Is he worthy of your excitement? Is he worthy of your joy? Is he worthy of your expectant anticipation of his return? It is 
mysterious when you think about it. The tension that exists within this world because of sin and because of death, God would relieve by entering into sin and into death. That is who Christ is. And as we celebrate his birth, we do not separate the rest of his earthly ministry. When we celebrate his birth, we are celebrating his flesh. When we celebrate his birth, we are celebrating his blood. So we have to receive. We have to receive that hope. We, we, we need to uh, or, or choose that hope. We have to wait on God. We have to cultivate that hope. And then very lastly, beloved, we now have the privilege to communicate that hope to the hopeless. And so this Advent season, remember that you were once without hope and without God in this world, but God came near to you. And God has granted you the hope of Jesus Christ. Reflect upon that so that you will not only celebrate what you have from God, but you will remember that not everyone has that. And remember that so that you, as you choose hope and as you cultivate hope, you will communicate that hope to those who don't have it. Don't use this season as a time to complain or a time to be dissatisfied or a time to, to look at the circumstances around us, whether it's COVID or politics or whatever it is. Don't use this as a time to complain about what things are not. Use this as an opportunity to celebrate what is and what is coming. And let your celebration of those things be what leads you to talk to your neighbor, to talk to your coworker, to talk to that family member that is wrestling, that is struggling. So that if someone is lonely this season, you be that person that steps into their life. If, if someone is grieving this season, you be that agent of hope to them this season if if there is someone who is nervous if there is someone who's stressed because of the season you be that steadiness to them and let the hope of Jesus Christ flow through you that they might find peace themselves beloved this is what it means when Paul says but now Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. It is hard to put into words not only how grateful we should be, but even how grateful we actually are. And so let this season, Lord, even as the lights and the smells and the get-togethers are all around us, Lord, may they lead us to see through them your goodness to us, your presence with us, the hope that is ours because of your past faithfulness that guarantees your future.
faithfulness. And Lord, may we be a people who can embody this hope now, despite the circumstances, not because we, we are wishing something to happen and not because we are deciding to make lemonade out of lemons, but may we in the confident expectation that you have begun to relieve the tension and you will fully relieve it when Christ returns, may it lead us to let the people around us who are without hope and who are without you in this world, let us be the agents and conduits of your presence, of your power. Lord, you are so worthy for us to give the totality of ourselves to. May this season reawaken and encourage us afresh to give ourselves to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.